0: Periodically, I will say things like, let's be Bereans, right? Let's take what we're taught and go to the scripture. And people have inquired and said, but really, how do you do that? So let's do one, okay? Based on a teaching that was on YouTube this week, you may have seen it. And the title was something like, how do you identify a modern day Pharisee? <laughs> and, the and the teaching was... <laughs> To identify a modern day Pharisee, you must remember what Messiah said about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he said, and the leaven of the Pharisees is teaching that you should stop sinning. Therefore, anyone who teaches that you should stop sinning is a Pharisee and is to be avoided according to Messiah. So let's go to the Bible And see if we can see whether that's a true teaching or a false teaching. Go first to the book of John chapter 5. Book of John chapter 5. And many of you may already be well aware how to do this. But there's people out there that are curious. John chapter 5 verse 14. Messiah has... Healed the man at the pool of Bethesda that didn't have anybody to put him in the water. And he's healed him. And verse 14 says, Afterward Yeshua found him in the temple and said to him, See you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. What did Messiah say? Sin no more. The point of this guy's teaching is that we all sin 100% of the time, all day, every day. And to say stop sinning is just stupid, because we can't. And therefore, if you tell people we should stop sinning, you are a Pharisee. But what did Messiah say? Sin no more. Go to John chapter 8, verse 11. It's not an isolated incident. Aha! Can you hear me in the back now? All right, thank you. In John chapter 8, verse 11, it says, She said, No one, Lord. And Yeshua said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and what? Sin Sin no no more. So is it a proper thing to say Yeshua told us that anyone who says, Go and sin no more, is a false teacher and a Pharisee? No, because he said, Go and sin no more. So, we can tell from the scripture itself that that teaching that's out there on the internet is not accurate. We have been Bereans. We have taken what we were taught, gone to the scripture. Yes, ma'am. What verse was that? That was John chapter 8, verse 11. And John chapter 5, verse 14 was the first one. Yep. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now, today, we will be in the book of Jeremiah. What does Jeremiah mean? The Lord exalts. We are in chapter 6 in verse 1. So let me give everybody a chance to find Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 1. Almost there. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 1 says... Oh, you children of Benjamin, of course the word O oh doesn't appear in there. That's just to make it more poetic. <laughs> Gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa, and set up a signal fire in Beth Haserim, for disaster appears out of the north. <clears throat> so oh, you children of Benjamin is talking about the tribe of Benjamin, which is the tribe on the north side of the city of Jerusalem, all the way up to the border of the northern kingdom of Israel. So if Israel and Jerusalem in particular is going to be attacked from the north, who's in trouble first? Bethlehem. So the Lord says to Bethlehem, to Benjamin, (coughs) Benjamin, that it's time to flee, to prepare to flee, because the danger is coming. Oh, let's see. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa. Where is Tekoa? Yeah,
1: it's
0: not spelled like the one here in Georgia. Okay. (laughs) Go to the book of Amos chapter 1. It's where Amos the prophet is from. Go to the book of Amos. We shouldn't expect the of Georgia, to be spelled the same way. I won't make any southern jokes because I'm from here. (laughs) Amos, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So Tekoa is in the land of Benjamin, it is north of the city of Jerusalem. If they're being attacked from the north, these people are in grave danger. So they must be prepared to run. And isn't Tekoa like a high
1: point so
0: they can see the enemy coming? Yeah, Tekoa is like a high point so they can see the enemy coming. What are they supposed to do when they see the enemy coming? Blow the trumpet, Blow the trumpet and then run. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Bethasarim. Huh? Let's go to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. The only way to attack Jerusalem is from the north. If you're attacking from the south, that means you're going up great big long hills where you're exposed and can't move very quickly. So you don't want to come that way. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. So they arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper again. Tekoa, just north, and then to Nehemiah chapter 3. Verse 14. It says "Malchiah, the son of Rahab, leader of the district of Beth Hazerum, repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. So Beth Hazerum was part of the district near the Temple Mount. That had a responsibility when it came to restoring the gates of the temple, so that's where you've seen Benjamin, Tekoa, and Beth Haserim before. Let's go back to Jeremiah six one. When it says, so "Children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee," means to make preparation. It, the enemy's not here yet, but they're coming. If you believe God, what will you begin to do? you begin to prepare. If you don't believe God, you go, there ain't no need to do that. Nothing's going to happen. So here's Jeremiah saying, get ready to flee. And what are the false prophets saying? God ain't going to do that. Come on, people. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa and set up a signal fire in Beth Haserim. He put up signal fires. Once the enemy's first spotted, the trumpets are blown, and they start to light signal fires all over the land to notify people. Why didn't they just tune into CNN? Well, that was the ancient CNN, was the signal (laughs) fires. For disaster appears out of the north in great destruction. What does the Lord mean by great destruction? Is there going to be a little conflict? There's going to be nothing left. Nothing left. There's not going to be a single human body left in Judah. Not a one. That's what God means by great destruction. Verse 2, I have likened the daughter of Zion. Which girl? No, it's not the girl's. The daughters are the unwalled villages. They're called daughters when they surround a walled city and an enemy comes. The unwalled villages like Bethlehem, Bethphage, Bethany, they flee into the walled city for protection. Those are the daughters. I've likened the daughter of Zion, Zion being Jerusalem, to a lovely and delicate woman. No, that's making no sense. How's an unwalled village like a delicate and lovely woman? Oh, much desirable. So when the invaders come, the first thing they're going to do is destroy all the unwalled villages because they're easy, slim pickings. And, of course, everything that they can steal from them is just booty for the invading armies. Verse 3 says, The shepherds with their flocks shall come to her. They shall pitch their tents against her all around. The shepherds refer to the invading armies. It's going to be like a shepherd leading flocks of sheep that just go on and on as these generals march their armies in. And to pitch their tents against her all around is to lay siege. How do you destroy and conquer a walled city like Jerusalem? Yeah, you don't go up and start banging on the walls, trying to knock the walls down. You put an army all the way around it so the people inside can't come out to get food or water. Now, inside, they're going to have food and water that can last a while, so a siege has generally went on for a couple years. But they can't enough have enough food and water inside to last forever. So eventually, they have to make the decision, do we surrender or do we starve? says, each one shall pasture in its own place. That is the commanders of the invading army setting up around the city. Verse 4 says, prepare war against her. Arise, let us go up at noon. Notice now the language as if it's the conquerors coming in because it is. This is the conquerors. Rise, let's go up at noon. Woe to us, for the day goes away, meaning it's now evening. For the shadows of the evening are lengthening. Arise, let us go up by night, let us destroy your palaces. This is the debate amongst the invaders. What's the best time to destroy them? That's bad for Jerusalem. That means... Any old time will do. We can just pick the time we think is best. Should we go in the heat in the day? Or should we hang out under the palm trees and wait till it gets evening? Then we'll destroy them at night. They realize that they can destroy the city when they want to. And why would that be? Because God not only allowed it, but God ordered it. Oh my. So verse 6 says, For thus has the Lord of hosts said. Whenever you see the phrase Adonai Zavaot, the Lord of hosts, you know there's a what kind of an element to the prophecy? An end times prophecy. So what's happened before will happen again. <coughs> what does the word host mean? In Hebrew it's Zavaot, means armies, refers to the Lord leading the armies. In judgment. For thus has the Lord of hosts said, Cut down trees and build a mound against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished. She is full of oppression in her midst. So, why is Jerusalem to be punished? I forget. Because she's full of oppression in her midst. We need to look at these words. First thing I want to look at, of course, is the Lord of hosts. It occurs in the Old Testament. How many times would you guess? How many? How about 235? 235. What's this thing in Romans chapter 15 we're supposed to do? What with the Old Testament? Learn. Learn from it. 235 times God says... I'm going to have to bring judgment and destruction. Should we learn when that happens and why? Yes, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Yes, ma'am. It is happening right now in this nation, and the nation is saying, clearly it's cows passing gas out there in Nebraska. Yeah, it is... Unfortunately, the Lord our God trying to call us to repentance, and we're doing like the ancient Israelites did and said, we'll blame it on anything but God. Because if we recognize His God, then we'd have to repent. There you go. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. So the people went to Shiloh. What was it, Shiloh? The tabernacle was with the Ark of the Covenant, yeah? That they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts. So the Lord of Hosts is the same Lord who's been sitting between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant from the time of Mount Sinai forward. That is the same Lord of hosts that in Revelation 19.11 leads the heavenly armies to the battle of Armageddon. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Verse 2. And I didn't read that whole verse in 1 Samuel 4.4. Did it say, who sits between the cherubim? Yes, it said, who sits between the cherubim. First Samuel, chapter 15, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. When does Amalek finally get destroyed? In the day of the Lord. It is the very same Lord of hosts who has said, Amalek is going to get it from the time Israel came out of Egypt until we get to the time of the battle of Armageddon. It is the same Lord of hosts. Amalek? Amalek are the Amalekites, the ones that attacked Israel, not from the front to engage the army, but killed the young and the sick and the old and infirm at the back of the armies. The Amalekites are the ones from which Haman descends. The one that Saul was told to destroy every man, woman, and child and did not do it. what What are they today we would say? Palestinians. It is that same ancient battle. The United States says Israel you've got to make peace with Amalek. What did God say? He's going to have war with Amalek? until the time of the end Second Samuel chapter 7 you know, when, Samuel was given that prophecy, when Samuel was given that prophecy he said thus says the Lord of hosts he would have known Saul's not going to do what he's told because this is going to be completely fulfilled in the end of days in the day of the Lord you're absolutely right that it probably was. But was it the first time Samuel had to speak badly to Saul? No. <laughs> it's real funny if you read it. When Saul has the witch at Endor conjure up the soul of Samuel, Samuel comes up and says, I taught you better than this, son. You knew not to do that. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's important to understand the phrase Adonai Zavaot, the Lord of hosts. In the scripture, sometimes you see the Lord God of hosts. But if you look behind it, it's the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Why they translate the Lord as God sometimes? I don't know. 2 Samuel 7, verse 26. Hmm. <coughs> it says now, verse 26, so I want to start in 25 because it says now. Now, O Lord God, do you see the word Lord? That's the tetragrammaton. And the word God there is going to be Elohim. It's letting us know that the Lord, who is the Lord of hosts, is the God of Israel. They are one and the same. So verse 26, So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. So the Lord of hosts, who leads the armies of heaven for the battle of Armageddon, in Revelation 19, 11, is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. Go to Psalm chapter 24. Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Verse 10. Who is this king of glory? What king of glory? The one who's going to rule and reign over this earth through the millennial kingdom and into eternity. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord of Hosts. He is the King of Glory. So, the Lord who is going to reign through the millennial kingdom here on earth after he defeats the enemies of the world at the Battle of Armageddon is the Lord of Hosts. He is the King of Glory. And then that word Selah means what? Stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. Does this support or contradict the doctrine of the Trinity? It definitely contradicts it. The Trinity says that there are three co-equal, co-existent persons who make up Godhead, the Godhead. So that Yeshua is different from God, who is different from the Holy Spirit. There are three different co-existent, co-equal persons sitting around the campfire trying to argue over what should be done. Psalm 46, verse 7. Psalm 46, verse 7. Again, the verse ends with Selah. Stop and think about it. Think about what? The Lord of hosts, Adonai Zavaot, is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. They're saying that the God of Jacob is the Lord of hosts. Psalm 84. Psalm 84, verse 3. Psalm 84, verse 3. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Selah. So in Psalm 84 it says, The Lord of hosts is my king and to my God. You might say, Wayne, why are you pushing things like this so hard? Because if you notice we keep getting smaller and smaller as people keep dropping out saying, Wayne, sorry, the commandments have been done away with. They don't apply. Yeshua is not God. You got that wrong. So I want to keep going back to the scripture and saying, what does the Bible say? Psalm 84, we're in it. Let's go to verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you, the man who puts his faith and trust in the Lord of hosts and if you look up in verse 11 parallel to that is the Lord God the Lord God is the Lord of hosts go to Isaiah chapter 2 Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12 For the day of the Lord of hosts. What is the day of the Lord of hosts? Is that the way of saying? The day of the Lord. Shall come upon everything proud and lofty. Upon everything lifted up and it shall be brought low. Hmm. If you go ahead and read the rest of that chapter in Isaiah, it's about the tribulation period. That happened in the day of the Lord of hosts. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 24. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 24. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble. You know what time period we're talking about now, don't you? This is the tribulation period. And the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom will ascend like dust, because, here's why, judgment's being poured out on the world. Because they have rejected the law, the Torah of the Lord of hosts, and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. The Torah came from whom, according to this verse? From the Lord of hosts. Remember when Daniel taught about that little word eight? There's one of those in Exodus chapter 20 verse 1, isn't it? Which is where the Ten Commandments are spoken on Mount Sinai. It says that God, Aleph Tav. God spoke through Messiah. What's that? And there's two of them in this verse. It's right between and the law. they on top of the law. Yep. And isn't there one after despised? Uh huh. The word of the Holy One. Yep. That's the same
1: if word and law are the same, right?
0: Yes. The word is the law. So, what this is trying to tell us is that Messiah gave us the commandments at Mount Sinai. Which shouldn't surprise us any. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 3. Isaiah 6, if you remember, is Isaiah's vision of Revelation chapter 4. The time of the rapture and the resurrection. It says in verse 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The glory of whom? The Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, his glory will fill the earth. Does that make you think of Ezekiel chapter 43? And of Matthew chapter 17, the Mount of Transfiguration? Yeah. Same chapter, Isaiah 6, but verse 5. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So it says in chapter 6, verse 1, The year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Who is that Lord sitting on that throne? That's Yeshua, it's the Lord of hosts. Isaiah chapter 13 verse 13 I've heard it said God pours out his wrath in the tribulation period and Yeshua protects people from it. Yeah.
1: I've
0: heard it too. yeah. So thought, okay. That's kind of what they're saying without meaning it. Multiple. But look what it says in Isaiah 13 13. Therefore, I will shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Who's pouring out the wrath? The Lord of hosts. Isaiah 24, called the little apocalypse verse 23 Isaiah 24 verse 23 then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed, which is like saying the sun won't give its light etc the sun will be turned to blood for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before his elders gloriously. That's talking about Yeshua sitting on the throne in the temple from Ezekiel 43 into eternity future. Yes, ma'am. Nope. I will say them all over again. Okay. Okay. So we're not done yet, but let's go back to the beginning and just make sure you've got them in your notes. I first said that the phrase, the Lord of hosts, appears just in the Old Testament alone 235 times. We looked at 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. We looked at 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 2. We looked at 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 26. We looked at Psalm chapter 24 verse 10. Psalm 46 verse 7. Psalm 84 Verse says plural three and twelve Isaiah chapter two verse twelve Isaiah chapter five verse twenty four Isaiah chapter six Verses 3 and 5. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 13. And Isaiah chapter 24, verse 23. We're not quite done yet, but almost. But I've got to warn you. They say one of the tenets that you must believe to call yourself a Christian is the Trinity. That there are three co-equal, co-existent persons up there around the fire. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 5. In that day, what day? Day of, day of the Lord. So we know what time period we're talking about. The Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. So those that came through the tribulation period, alive into the Messianic kingdom. The kingdom is going to be full of the glory of the Lord of the glory and of the beauty of our Messiah Isaiah chapter 29 verse 6 you will be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire When the Lord of hosts is pouring out his wrath, we don't want to be in the way.
1: What chapter was that?
0: That was chapter 29, verse 6. For the light, yes, ma'am. I just got a question from other people that I've got watching. Okay. And uh, they wanted to know, would you consider us a Jewish church? No. But, I, mean, I mean, it's a good question. If you could have gone to church... In the first century, if Peter, Paul, John, any of them, what would it have been like? And the answer is, this is what it would have been like: teaching the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua, as in Revelation fourteen twelve and Revelation twelve seventeen.
1: And the word church actually came into being around three or
0: four hundred A.D. Yeah, let's not worry about Ecclesia versus Cahal versus all those yeah, words. I, I,
1: Wayne. It just a different concept. Could do you remember um
0: you do you remember where the verse is? Do I remember
1: where the verse is? Where it says who the overcomers are. It's in
0: Revelation. No, it's not Revelation, it's in First John chapter 5. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 mention the overcomer seven times. So let's go look at Revelation 2 and 3 first because There are a bunch of promises made to the overcomers. And then we'll look at who they are. So I think the essence of the question is, is this teaching just for Jewish people who've come to faith the Messiah? And the answer is no. It's for all people. What did Messiah tell the disciples in Matthew 28, 18? To go into all the world and teach them what? All things whatsoever I have commanded you. So Revelation 2, the first time you see the overcomers is in verse 7. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Which of course means that you have eternal life, you're in the new heavens, new earth, because that's where the tree of life is on either side of the river in Revelation 22. Then the next time is in verse 11. It says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death is the lake of fire. So again, it's the promise of eternal life and spending eternity with Messiah in the new heavens and the new earth. The third one is in verse 17 of Revelation 2. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. That, according to the book of Hebrews, is in the Ark of the Covenant. Now give him a white stone. The way they did judgments in the Sanhedrin is you displayed a black stone for guilty or a white stone for not guilty. So the white stone means God finds you not guilty. And on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. So please don't ask me what it says. Because I do not know. The next time is in verse 26. It says, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. What's it mean to keep my works until the end? Yes. To keep the commandments, right? Tim, I will give power over the nations. That's Revelation 1.6. I'll make you kings and priests. The next time is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. The white garments, the righteous deeds of the saints, Name from the book of life. No one whose name is in the book of life is going to the lake of fire. But I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. In verse 12, he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. That's eternally present with God in the new heavens and the new earth. The last one in chapter 3 is verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. So again, to rule and reign. So what is an overcomer? That's First John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. First John chapter five, verses one through five.
1: Thank
0: you. Whoever believes, what's that word there, Daniel what mm-hmm. What's it mean? Who one who has faith. That Yeshua is the Messiah is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of him. And that word loves is a present participle. And so is beliefs. beliefs. Continuous action. (coughs) So you cannot say, I love God, but I reject Yeshua. Can't do that. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith that's that word pistis right who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes present participle continuous action that Yeshua is the son of God can you believe that Yeshua is the Messiah the son of God and not obey the commandments of God according to the scriptures no and that's why you find it as a unit here with both things in inside of it. It's like let's look at Revelation fourteen twelve. Yes, ma'am. I know we were there. You know we were there. And they taught us whatever, right? Yeah, and they taught us whatever, right? But you don't remember what why, was it before. Why are they
1: rejecting this? We did, but I
0: don't remember. Why are they rejecting this? You did, but you don't remember why. Rejected what? I'm confused. Um, the idea that this, okay. the commandments are still to be followed. Oh, okay. Thank you. Because traditional church doctrine says don't. Because from the time of the Catholic Church in the 4th century... The teaching was: you obey the pope, you obey the church, you don't obey God. Most people don't believe the pope. Most people don't believe that the pope is the pope, and yet they they're obedient to him, whether they mean to be or not. Yeah, I understand. So, where were we going? Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. The word saints is the Greek word hagias, and it means the holy ones, the holy ones of God. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. Scripture says, if you do not keep God's commandments, it's because you do not love him. You
1: can't get any clearer.
0: Than that. You just can't get any clearer than that. And yet I hear preacher after preacher. Go, go to 1 John chapter 2. I've heard preacher after preacher do the following. Go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, does not keep his commandments as a liar and the truth is not in him. And they shut the Bible and say, that's wrong. Don't follow that. That's contrary from church doctrine. So don't listen to that. And I go... Doctrine over Bible? Turn to Revelation chapter 22. And then I'm going to get off this soapbox.
1: I'm
0: glad you started (laughs) it too. I'm glad you started it too. Revelation 22 verse 14. And I'm going to read to you from the Liberty Bible commentary. Because it answers the question of why. Revelation 22 verse 14 it says, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Remember that overcomer statement in Revelation 2? Those who overcome have the right to the tree of life. It says, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. And here's what my Liberty Bible commentary says. It says the authorized version, meaning the King James Version, has unhappily used a Greek text here that is faulty. And teaches what the rest of the Bible denies—that is, salvation by keeping the commandments. Rather, salvation comes by symbolically washing their robes in the blood of the lamb. Meaning, we should be following the NIV from the Westcott-Hort. Yes, ma'am. I
1: got a question in the same category, and I had this question coming. Was hoping I'd find a way to get it in. Go ahead, get it in. What are the, the Revelation says the leaves? Of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Yes. Okay, if we're all one, why have we got nations when we're in heaven?
0: Because we are not in heaven yet. There are many nations around the world.
1: But the tree of life is in heaven.
0: The tree of life will be in the new Jerusalem on earth. Okay. And it, it takes bringing the nations to the... The new heavens and the new earth to finally unite them as one people without sin anymore.
1: So the tree of life will be there at the Feast of Tabernacles after Armageddon?
0: No. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. I'm sorry. Revelation 22. It's in the new heavens and the new earth after the millennial kingdom. Yeah, there's the day of the Lord that begins with the rapture, resurrection, the seven years of the tribulation period, the 993 years of the millennial kingdom, then comes the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 22, one, And show me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, that's here on earth, out of the new Jerusalem, in the middle of its street and on either side of the street was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse. So we are all now either in the lake of fire burning or in the new heavens and new earth eating from the tree of life and there will be no more curse. The curse has been healed. So
1: these are all this-
0: Yes, these are all the saints. That word saints throughout the scripture comes from the English we would say the holy ones. The ones who have been set apart to God. And they're defined in the scriptures those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. It's not an either or. Let's go back to the point we were on before we took this important journey. Go back to Isaiah chapter 31. Isaiah chapter 31. Still looking at the Lord of hosts. There's still too many people who think that There was the God of the Old Testament who was a mean God, wrathful, and he's been replaced by the God of the New Testament, this Jesus who's full of love and would never hurt a butterfly. And they don't realize there's only one God. The difference in how God approaches, whether it's by wrath or by love, depends upon who we are. That was Exodus chapter 3, I will be whom I will be. To God's children, he's a loving father, but to his enemies, he's a wrathful judge. I digress. Isaiah chapter 31, verse 4. For thus the Lord has spoken to me, as a lion roars, and a young lion over his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him. He will not be afraid of their voice, nor be disturbed by their noise, so, meaning in the same way, the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion, Mount Zion, that's the Temple Mount, and for its hill, that's Mount Moriah. Like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it, passing over, he will preserve it. So, again, who comes to defeat the armies of the world? and to deliver the Temple Mount and the land of Israel. That's
1: his land. That's the Lord of
0: hosts, it's his land, it's our Messiah Yeshua. That's the only land that he
1: says, That's mine.
0: It's the only piece of land that God says is his. The apple of his eye. Isaiah chapter 37, verse 16. Are we going to look at every occurrence of the Lord of hosts? No, there's 235 in the Old Testament alone. Isaiah 37, verse 16. Mm -hmm. Hezekiah is praying to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. So he's seen before, the Lord of hosts is the God of Israel. He's the one who dwells between the cherubim. But now they've added, you have made heaven and earth. In John 1, who do we find made heaven and earth? Our Messiah Yeshua. In Colossians chapter 1, who do we find made heavens and the earth? Our Messiah Yeshua. Who is the Lord of hosts? In case you don't know yet, go to Isaiah 44. Verse 6. We're going to add a couple more names. Thus says the Lord, there's the tetragrammaton, the I will be whom I will be. The king of Israel. Well, we know who that is. That's Messiah, Yeshua. Yeshua. And his redeemer, not the Lord's redeemer, Israel's redeemer. That's the goel, the kinsman redeemer. The Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Where in the New Testament does it say I'm the first and I'm the last? That's in Revelation 22. And what color are the words? Red. Okay, if there's no more questions about who's the Lord of hosts, let's go back to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 7. As the fountain wells up, which means to gush up, how does a well differ from a cistern? yeah cistern's just a big unnatural thing made to hold water you put water in and then dip it out over time it's, the water gets stale etc but the water is running underneath and is welling up rushing up so it's living water as a fountain wells up or gushes up with water so she wells up with her wickedness oh my goodness That means that there's not just a little wickedness going on, but the wickedness is overflowing. Violence and plundering are heard in her. Before me continually are grief as sickness and wounds. So it's talking about a constant stream of wickedness.
1: So she
0: and her are, Israel. It refers back to Jerusalem yeah, and Judah here. Which Jerusalem is supposed to be what? A place where they worship the true and living God and instead he calls it a constant stream of wickedness. And that word wickedness is simply the opposite of good. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2.
1: reminded of what a missionary
0: once said. A missionary once said what?
1: He said, I would be a good missionary if it weren't
0: for these people. He said, I would be a good missionary if it weren't for these people. <laughs> I uh, don't
1: like no as sense. long as there were no people in Jerusalem, there was no wickedness
0: in Jerusalem. Okay. <laughs> so Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God Made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Notice how the word Lord is spelled. So the Lord didn't start being the Lord in Exodus chapter 3. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you see that good and evil? The Hebrew just says good and bad. The word evil and the word bad is the same word. If it's not good, it's bad or evil. So when it says back in Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 7, she wells up with her wickedness, it really just means that which is bad. That which is bad is the opposite of that which is good, meaning it's the opposite of that which God commanded us to do. God's commandments are good. Which chapter of the Bible, not book, but which chapter is all about how good the word of God is, how good the Torah is, how useful, how blessed? Psalm 119. 119. Let's go to Psalm 119 for just a moment because, well, it's the longest book of the Bible. When you say his commandments are void, that's going to come up in the teaching, believe it or not. That's verse 124. 126, I mean, 126. But I want you to go back to Psalm 119, verse 1. It took us weeks to get through Psalm 119 when we taught it, I'm sure. But I want you to understand that not everything that's translated in here is translated correctly. And the first one I want you to change, if you haven't already, is Psalm 119, verse 1, word 1, which is the word blessed. Notice the little Hebrew letter aleph above verse 1. There's a little thing that's an aleph and then the word aleph spelled out. Every verse in verses 1 through 8 begin with the letter aleph. Blessed begins with a bait, not an aleph. The word in Hebrew is ashrei, it's happy. Happy. Happy is the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. The Torah. And it's talking about come judgment day when you're standing before the Lord our God in judgment. If you have been walking the commandments of God faithfully you are going to be happy. It's going to be a good day. If you've been walking saying God's commandments don't apply anymore, I can do whatever the world I want. Not going to be such a happy judgment day. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. The testimonies are the commandments that people heard with their own ears. It's another way to describe the law or the Torah. Who seek him with the whole heart. They also do, or meaning work, no iniquity. Iniquity is lawlessness. And that's what all Psalm 119 is about. Is thinking about Judgment Day. How do you want to stand before the Lord one day? Do you want to stand before him eating a ham sandwich? You don't want to do that. Which chapter of the Bible says that in no uncertain words? Isaiah 65 and 66. Back to back. In case somebody's never seen it, let's just look at Isaiah 66. It does not take much for me to go there. It does not. Isaiah 66 verses 14 to 17 talk about... Who is going to regret their actions when the Lord returns? Did you say Isaiah
1: 66?
0: I said Isaiah 66, verses 14 to 17. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord, which is His protection, His blessings, shall be known to His servants. And his indignation, that's the Za'am, that's the wrath of God being poured out without mixture to his enemies. And notice there's only two categories you're his servant or you're his enemy. Mm. For behold, the Lord will come with fire, with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword the Lord will judge whom? All. All flesh. Does that say only Jews? No, it says everybody. And the slain of the Lord shall be many. Verse 17 explains that further. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst. That's idolatry. Eating swine's flesh. What's a swine? It's a pig. And the abomination in the mouth shall be consumed together, says the Lord says, when the Lord returns, and he hasn't returned yet, those that are eating the piggy will be what? Consumed, Consumed in the fire of his wrath and judgment. What more does it take to tell you that eating the pig is a bad idea than this? In verse 23, And it shall come to pass it from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another. All flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, for how long? Forever without end. So if you don't like the Sabbath now, you don't want to go into the kingdom. Say, I'll just take my ticket to the lake of fire now. Just a few years ago, I'm talking five years ago. Just five years ago or less.
1: It was reported that we were receiving from China.
0: It's a report that we were receiving from China. I'm not sure I want to hear this.
1: Chicken tenders.
0: Chicken tenders. That
1: turned out to be mice. Mouse.
0: That turned out to be mice.
1: Deboned mouse.
0: Deboned mice. So,
1: those who are trying to eat clean need to be careful about eating fast foods.
0: Yes, you have to be careful about fast foods. Um, Popeyes around here is a chicken house. They cook it in lard. Well,
1: they make, most places make their biscuits with
0: lard. Most places around here make their biscuits with lard. Okay, let's go back to Jeremiah. People get to make up their own mind, but there are consequences to our decisions. So back to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 8. Be instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you, lest I make you desolate, a land not inhabited. So what does he mean? He says, learn from the chastisements that I've been giving you. Learn from the prophets that I've sent preaching repentance and repent. Repent. Yeah, learn from the northern kingdom of Israel. It doesn't exist anymore. Hasn't for 2,700 years. God
1: had already told Jeremiah,
0: they aren't going to listen. Yeah, he's going to tell them again. (coughs) Turn to Romans chapter 15. God kept saying, Why won't you learn from the lessons I give you? Look at Romans 15, verse 4. For whatever things were written before, that is, that which is written in what you and I might call the Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So in the Old Testament we learned that when Israel was obedient to God, they were blessed, and when they broke God's commandments, they got cursed, it happens over and over and over and over again. Then we get to the New Testament. The New Testament preachers say, oh, but God doesn't want us keeping his commandments anymore. He wants to bless us by breaking his commandments.
1: Actually, that,
0: Is that the lesson we're supposed to learn?
1: That didn't become popular. I, I've heard different people saying when they've heard that. But most of my life,
0: most of your life,
1: what I have heard, you what know, you've heard, would be called milk
0: would be called milk, not the meat of the word, yeah?
1: Every sermon, every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every sermon started over. They never, they didn't worry about keeping the commandments or they never got beyond, you need to say the sinner's prayer. You need to quit drinking. You need to do that. They never got anywhere, never. So they never got to anything about, oh, how do we please God? That... That was, nobody ever thought of that because we were supposed to repent, repent, repent. I mean every, every, every service.
0: But well, repent from what? It was hell fire. <laughs>
1: yeah. That was the only thing they preached in these little country Baptist churches. Oh yeah. That's all you hear. You do not hear anything from the word of God.
0: Oh, yeah. I understand. So, anyway,
1: that's repent why, and that's why we never heard, uh, well, how should we live? How right. should we please God? We never heard that.
0: Yep. So let's hear it now.
1: That's what we're hearing now is these preachers are saying, you don't need to please God. He loves you. He likes you just like you are. It's all the baseball games.
0: Yeah, they they almost can make a song like that just as I am. Okay. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 9. It's a serious, serious matter. It really is. I listen to preacher after preacher who says... You don't need to repent. God loves you just as you are. Just keep sinning and God will bless you because that demonstrates your faith. That you have faith enough to go on sinning, believing He'll save you anyway. Show me that in the Bible.
1: You,
0: can. you know what they say when you say that to the preacher? Show me that in the Bible? They say, go they say Well, that's our church's doctrine. <laughs> Okay, and Kool Aid is, well, let's go back to verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Oh, do I get to start that over again? No. (laughs) But we know who the Lord of hosts is. They shall thoroughly glean as a vine the remnant of Israel. As a great gatherer, put your hand back into the branches. Oh, my goodness. This is heartbreaking that means not a person the gleanings take absolutely everything and that's why gleaning is prohibited in the harvests let's go to leviticus 19 when you reap the harvest you're not permitted to glean leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 to 10 I, I'm going to just read the first three verses and then get on to verse ten, verses 9 and 10, which is where we're going. But verses 1 through 3 of Leviticus 19 reads this. And the Lord, there's the Tetragrammaton, spoke to Moses saying, the word saying means what follows is a quote. These words came out of the lips of God. Matthew 4, 4, Messiah said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel. Everyone who's saved is part of the congregation of the children of Israel. Just read Ephesians 2. And say to them, you shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. That word holy is where the word saints comes from as in Revelation 14, 12, who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. It says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. His first point in holiness is what? Honor your father and your mother and keep my Sabbaths. Down to verse 9, because this is about gleaning. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Which means God prohibits you from going through the fields and gathering up 100%. The gleanings, that which is left behind, are for the poor. And for the stranger. And when he says, I'm the Lord your God, y'all know what that means. Yeah, when the kids say, why? The answer is, because I told you so. That's what this is. Because I said so. And in the same book, Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus 23, which are about the appointed times of the Lord that teach the first and second comings of Messiah. In verse 22 it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. But back in Jeremiah, God is telling the remnants that are left in Jerusalem and Judah that they shall be thoroughly gleaned, which means not a person will be left behind. Go to Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24, verse 21. We'll start in 19 to start the concept and go forward. So we'll actually start in Deuteronomy 24:19, though the key verse is 21. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field. What's a sheaf? A you cut down a bundle of grain and bundled it together. You didn't leave it standing. You didn't forget to cut it. You just forgot to bring it home. It says you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing.
1: Were they allowed to glean as slaves in Egypt? Was that kind of the only food they
0: had or something? No, they didn't get to glean in Egypt. What it means is they cried out to God and God delivered them, brought them into this beautiful land full of produce. And now they're saying, it's mine, mine, mine. And God says, no, be generous. Be generous.
1: They knew what it was like to
0: be in need. They did. They knew what it was like to be hungry. Have any of you out there ever been really hungry? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: So I had, as a child, I lived off the streets of Detroit. understood. Would, it was hard. I
0: without eating. Yeah. You might get something to drink from somebody, a
1: glass of water or something. But yeah.
0: Yeah. So God says you remember days like that. And you be kind to the poor. Amen. Back to Jeremiah chapter six, verse ten. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Who's that? Is that the Lord speaking? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word Lord is a reproach to them, they have no delight in it. This is Jeremiah, isn't it? Pouring his heart out to the Lord. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Are the people not just falling at Jeremiah's feet and saying, tell us the message from the Lord? No, they want to kill Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah is preaching repentance and they don't want to repent. They make the mistake that I hear so often today. That we can live in sin. And God will bless us anyway. God will just love us and give us everything we want. Proverbs 28.9. Let's turn there and look. Proverbs 28.9. It goes along with John 9.31. It says, we know that God does not hear sinners. And
1: that goes back to the beginning where you were talking about the, what the definition of a Pharisee is. Right. You know, if we're supposed to live in sin, then that means God can't hear us because God
0: doesn't hear sinners. That's exactly right. For those of you who didn't hear what he said, if you go all the way back to the beginning of tonight, when I mentioned the teaching that I heard, what is a Pharisee? And that a Pharisee is one who says we should stop sinning. Proverbs 28, 9 says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. God will not hear you if you're living in sin, walking in lawlessness. So if what we're supposed to teach is to live in lawlessness, then you're teaching people to pray in a way that God will not hear And he added to that John 9.31 which says we know that God does not hear sinners. Sinner, 1 John 3.4 Sin is the lawlessness. Sin is the breaking of the law.
1: Uh, Even
0: the man who was born blind, he told
1: him, he said, a sinner, God doesn't hear a sinner. Yeah, that's John 9.31. So how did he, you know, heal me
0: then? He's a sinner. That was exactly the man's argument. They didn't know what to say, did they? No, they did not. They did not. Because they know the scripture says that. And if it's from God, can it ever change? No. answer is no. So let's go back to Jeremiah 6, verse 10. Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, which means they do not want to hear the word of the Lord. A circumcised heart is one who wants to be obedient to God. An uncircumcised heart is one who doesn't want to hear it. So the same thing is true of the uncircumcised ear. They don't want to hear it. And they cannot give heed. They cannot give heed if they won't even hear the admonition. And why? It says, behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it, which means they refuse to hear. Is that the same as a
1: reprobate, reprobated mind?
0: Not exactly, no. okay. but it's close. It means they refuse to hear the word of God because they think... It's a horrible thing. Something to be avoided. To be... Something to run from. They refuse to hear. Doesn't the scripture say there's no one so blind as one who refuses to see? The same would be true of hearing. Let's go to Isaiah 58.13. Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. I should have started in Isaiah fifty-six, shouldn't I? But I didn't. I, Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. This is where the word oneg is that you translate for me quite often. I appreciate that. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Oh my, who does God, what does God call my holy day? The Sabbath.
1: Not your Sabbath, his Sabbath.
0: That's right, my holy day. He emphasizes mine And call the Sabbath a delight. There's the onig. The holy day of the Lord. What does holy mean? Set apart apart unto God. The holy day of the Lord honorable. and And shall honor him not doing your own ways. If you're not doing your own ways, whose ways are you doing? The Lord's. Nor finding your own pleasure. Then whose pleasure are you pursuing? The Lord's. Nor speak in your own words. Whose words are you speaking? His. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I'll cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. And feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And someone's going to say, gee, that might just be to Israel. So turn back to Isaiah 56. Verse 6. These words honestly cause me to lose sleep at night. Also, the sons of the foreigner, the foreigners, they're not from the nation of Israel, who join themselves to the Lord to serve him. They decide. They're going to turn away from pagan idolatry, from sexual immorality and the sins of the world and serve, which means to obey the Lord our God. To love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain. What's a mountain in prophecy? Kingdom. So this is to the messianic kingdom. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. What about the billions of people who call themselves Christians who say, Sunday. You can't keep the Sabbath, you've got to do Sunday instead. The Pope said so. You say most people don't even know why? Yeah, but that's why. And what does Romans 6.16 say? The one you obey, that's the one whom you serve.
1: The word there... I I for just
0: a second. In which chapter? What we're just at right now. In Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. The word defile. Can you elaborate on that one? Keep them defiling the Sabbath. Defiling the Sabbath there. I'm returning to see... Since you want to know the word, let's see what it is. I'm trying to beat Daniel. He's quick <laughs> he's doing electronically. Isaiah 56. It means not to keep it. But Isaiah 56, the word in verse 6 is... Is... Mechalu, and it means to not desecrate. You desecrate the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath, by failing to honor it, failing to remember it. As in saying, it's been done away with. How do you spell desecrate? D E S E C R A T E. Yep. Yeah. Like, it's just one difference in the sound. How long, how long. Yeah. So, what he's saying is, it's a play on words between um, to praise and to desecrate. Almost the same, just that little bit of difference. Just that jot or tittle from Matthew chapter 5. Yeah. Ha versus ha. Yep. Hey versus hate. Okay, let's go to Psalm. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. I mean, seriously, God tells us in Exodus chapter 32 that the Sabbath is the sign that we worship the true and living God. And Isaiah 56 lets us know that it's not just for Jewish people, it's for all people. And what was one of the first things the Catholic Church wanted to get rid of was the Sabbath. The second was the feasts and festivals, and the third was not eating piggies. Because those are the three things that, in the Old Testament, God said, these are most important to me. And if you read the Catholic literature, it will say, why did the Pope want to do these things? is to show that you follow the Pope and not God. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6, which is all of it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That word is the wicked. The ones who do bad. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But the blessed man is his the one his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law he meditates day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water talking about revelation 22 those that are in the new heavens and the new earth where the tree of life is that brings forth its fruit in its season again that's what revelation chapter 22 said Whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. So, the ungodly are those who do not delight in the law of the Lord. Do not meditate on it. But are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. doesn't mean they won't be judged, it means they won't survive it nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Is that not what Matthew chapter 7 verse 23 says? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. It's the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament.
1: Wouldn't it be a good example of how that is by... And the kings, when David was running from Saul, and he came upon the farm of Nabal, and he asked him for something to eat, and he cursed him, and, you know, or he sent a servant to ask for something, you know, and he'd been protecting their flocks and stuff. Uh-huh. All the time. And ball cursed him and, and sent him away, and David said, I'm going to go end this guy. And his wife heard about it, and fixed up a whole bunch of stuff and took to it. You
0: know, and then but the ball died later. Yep, wages of sin is death. Yep. yep, you're right. Psalm 40. Psalm 40. I know people are saying, Wayne, lighten up. But we have about seven weeks till the Feast of Trumpets. Is this the year? Ask me in October. But if it is the year, when do we want to be ready? Now, now not in October.
1: Just when we have 40 days to get ready?:
0: Well, we're not to that point yet, but we're getting close. Yes, yeah, so I looked at the moon last night. We have about seven weeks till the feast of trumpets. Psalm 40 verse 8. It sure was. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Who is this speaking? David. And your law is within my heart. That's what the new covenant is. is the law written in your heart. Hmm. wonder how David knew that. Because David was a prophet. Not a prophet for prophet either. Go to Psalm 119. Verse seventy.
1: 119.
0: Psalm one nineteen, verse seventy. Seven zero,
1: or one
0: Seven, zero. Zero. Seven zero Their heart. Their heart. They're referring to the ungodly. Their heart is as fat as grease. But I delight in your law, your Torah. I delight in what? Your Torah. Same chapter, verse 77. Let your tender mercies come to me that I may live for, because... Your law is my delight. David's not suggesting we're saved by works, but that if you are saved, then you will keep the commandments of God. Where does it say, if you love me, come and keep my commandments? John 14, 15. There's a banner back there. There's a plaque up here. I've got to find a place to mount. What's it mean, though? What does it mean? Stop for a moment. What is a God? The one you worship and obey. obey. What did Messiah say in Luke six forty six? But why do you call me Lord Lord and not do the things I say? forty
1: six?
0: Yeah. Luke six forty six. Let's turn there in case you think I got the sight wrong. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And I want you to see the confusion on Messiah's face. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? What does the word Lord mean? Master, Master the one we obey. Why do you call me Master Master, but you don't do anything I say? Can you see the confusion?
1: I see a major
0: confusion. I see a major confusion.
1: And how how are they supposed to know? It? it means they have to do something, they have to read it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's the major thought. Yep. Yeah. What does the Bible say? Okay, let's go back to Psalm 119, verse 92. Psalm 119, verse 92. Psalm 119, verse 92. Unless your law, your Torah, had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. That's kind of the opposite of Isaiah 58, isn't it? If your law had not been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction.
1: I think that means he was only able to repent when he had sinned and was afflicted because he loved the law.
0: I think it means that God heard his prayer and delivered him because he delighted in God's law. If he had turned away his ear from hearing the Torah, would God have delivered him?
1: Well, actually for a while he did, but remember, he did fall into sin for a period of months.
0: Yes, but not turning his ear away from the law, got yeah. carried away.
1: Even at that time, yeah. he delighted in the law. He just had a little part of his life that he was having a different opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: there is a big difference between I delight in the law and I fell down on occasion than... Didn't mean nothing to Didn't me in the first place.
1: It doesn't mean
0: he was sinless. He was not sinless, but he repented as soon as he realized what he'd done.
1: Yeah, and how many psalms do we have where David messed up and said, Lord forgive me? Yeah. Yep. And does the
0: New Testament say that if we confess with our mouth he's just to forgive us? Yeah. While we're on this page because I know Daniel loves Psalm 19, verse 126 so much as do I. <laughs> it says it is time for you to act O Lord for they have regarded your law as void. Just today the news out of Israel was that About 30% of the Jewish people in Israel have said they're going to leave the country. And 78% of the new businesses have said they're going to leave the country of Israel because they're afraid with that new judicial law that passed, they may not be able to participate in all the homosexual activities that they want. So they're just going to leave the nation. Whether they will or not, I don't know. But what does it say about they're regarding God's law as void. And then Romans 7.22. Time grows short. I don't mean to make fun of anybody. Don't take it that way. I want people to read the word of God and say, maybe my church doctrine doesn't teach this, but the Bible does. God's not
1: willing to any
0: so which should we put first, the word of God or a denominational doctrine?
1: Word
0: of, God. word of God. Romans 7 verse 12 says the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. But we're here for verse 22. This is Paul writing. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. How does Paul look at the law of God? With delight. In three chapters later, the church says he abolishes it, but he doesn't. Yeah, I know, being snarky. Romans 10.4 does not say that Messiah has terminated the law. It means he's the goal of the law. Wayne, yes, ma'am. What
1: does the inward man mean? The soul?
0: What he wants to do. His desires. The intents and thoughts of his heart. So he delights in the law of God. He wants to follow it perfectly. But finds that he's not always perfect. Just like David was not always perfect. Just like Abraham was not always perfect. But did they always repent and turn back to God? Yep. The phrase inward man is synonymous with the word heart in the scripture. Because You're right.
1: It's like you always say that it didn't have gray's anatomy or whatever. It's right. like that thing pumping blood in your
0: chest, but it was that inward desire. That yes, desire. that's exactly right. The Hebrew words lev and levav, which are translated heart, don't refer to the muscles pumping blood in the body. It refers to man's inward desires the thoughts of his heart, what he intends to do, what he wants to do, what motivates his actions. That's what the word heart means in the biblical Hebrew.
1: This inward man here, there's something of the old nature and the new nature, the old man and the new man. There's something of that in that inward man. That's your new nature. Okay. That's the one that wants to follow God. Your old nature is the one that wants to trip you up.
0: Yeah, the old nature doesn't want you to follow God. Yes, the yetzer hara means the evil inclination. That is the heart's desire to follow evil. Okay, back to Jeremiah for just a minute.
1: Could you say then that word after, at least that's what I have here in my open Bible, that he delights in the law of Torah, which chases after what's our deepest desires. Did I say that right? Is that
0: what that's saying? I, didn't, I wouldn't say that caught the meaning quite real. But real that's what it means. See,
1: I, I translate it differently in my mind when I read that.
0: Yeah, it means his heart's desire is to follow the Torah of God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. One last verse as we've run out of time almost. Verse 11, Jeremiah 6.11. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. I will pour it out on the children outside, on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with the wife, the aged with him who is full of days. This is where I put in the notes. Make sure you look at Psalm 119 verse 126, but we just did. Because what? What? God is conveying through the prophet here is because he has sent prophet after prophet to call them to repentance and they refuse to hear it. They refuse to be chastened. They refuse to repent. That God is going to let the fury flow. This is what you call righteous indignation right here. This is what you call righteous indignation. When it says, on the assembly of young men together, even the husband shall be taken with the wife. It means God is so angry. He's not going to withhold the wrath from any of these people. Not a single one is going to survive. He is going to take the gleanings. I mean, what's he done? He has sent the northern kingdom into captivity so the southern kingdom could see it. There have been two waves of the Babylonian captivity already. And the remnant in there still says, God won't do this. He won't let this happen. And God's saying, oh, just stand, back and watch. stand back and watch. In fact, he's about to tell the prophet, I don't want to give away next week, but don't even bother to pray for him. It's over. I ain't hearing it. When God gets so angry that he won't hear a prayer of repentance, that's bad. The problem is, it's not a prayer of repentance by the people who have sinned. It's somebody else praying on their behalf. As bad as
1: that's bad, because God
0: Moses, as bad as the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God didn't tell Moses not to pray for them.
1: That shows how bad it was.
0: Yeah, He let Moses intercede for the people, but He is so fed up with the people in Jeremiah's day he said it's, it's over don't even try and change my mind they're toast so we will pick up next week Lord willing in Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 12